Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What my mission is with the education is to just give men and women the information to make sure they know because we're never taught this. Hello and welcome to Fertility Life Raft with me, Alice Rose. This podcast is for you if you find yourself longing for a baby and then finding that the path to bringing them home is not easy. It's for you if you've had enough of feeling like you're losing sight of yourself because that's how I felt too. And it's also for you if you're supporting someone going through this and want to understand a little bit more. So, welcome to a totally safe space, honest conversation, real and raw stories shared and a little bit of topical stuff too because I really believe it's not all down to you to get through this. The world needs to catch up too. Well hello everybody, how are you? I've had some absolutely lovely messages from some of you um, wonderful listeners recently so can I just please say thank you to every single person who listens whether or not you message me to let me know or leave a review or whatever your relationship with this little podcast is whether you've listened to every single episode or you've just this is your first one I really just want to take a minute to say thank you so much Um, I'm recording this and it's in in my little garden office and it's getting dark here in the UK it's um, beginning of September the seasons are changing it's actually a difficult time of year for a lot of people on this journey um, when they see lots of parents sharing photos of children um, starting school or going back to school and you know there might be triggering language like oh thank goodness it's the end of the summer holidays or finally getting rid of them or something like that and I know that um, and even if they there isn't things like that that are said, even if it's you know just a picture, um, it can really be quite a difficult time. So if you're listening to this, you know in real time, then just protect yourself, take it easy. Know you're not alone. You're really not. And every time I share anything about this on Instagram or on the podcast or wherever, just know that there is a real community a global huge community of people who are with you and who understand Um, and there's also lots that you can do to build your resilience and to build your um, ability to manage the hugely emotional trauma that going through this can be so please do before I go any further with this episode please do pop over to my website this is alicerose.com have a look at some of the meditations and courses that I have 
and um, please do also subscribe to my email list because I'll tell you for why. <laughs> I have just recently been taking a bit of a hiatus from Instagram, which is kind of my main communication channel, really, um, apart from this, obviously. And what I've realised is that um, watching um, somebody I know have their Instagram account hacked recently and, and they've lost completely lost it. Um, I thought that is just so sad and I would hate to lose, you know, so many of you who I know have found me through Instagram and are part of that community. So please do go and subscribe to my email list because that is one way that I know I'm not going to lose you. And I promise I will not bombard you with emails. I don't have, um, I'm, I'm not very good like that. I occasionally might send like a few about a certain um, course that I might be launching or an offer that I'm, I'm doing, but they're quite few and far between. So please don't worry about that. Anyway, gosh, wasn't planning to ramble on about that. The other thing to say is that this podcast is very, um, I, I have a wonderful person who helps me put it together um, called Jordan and she is great. And, um, but it's, it is quite um, unproduced in lots of ways. And I, and I think that that is working for us. <laughs> and, um, and at the moment, that's, where we're going with it. I just really love being completely authentic with you and just, yeah, I like to just, yeah, use this space as, as a way to speak to you directly. Anyway, I've just checked the time and I've been talking for three and a half minutes. So I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop and I'm going to let you listen to my guest this week. Um, now, I have a real mix of guests on this show, as you know. I really like to hear from, you know, just real life people who are just going through this, who I feel like have a have a real story to share that could be helpful for somebody else. Or I love speaking to other coaches or advocates who are making big changes in the fertility world, like either through helping people one to one or, you know, like um, Amber Itzo's Fight for IVF campaign or, you know, there are so many people who are so passionate in this field. And I think it's um, really great to have like a, a massive cross section of people that we're talking to. And I also think um, that I, I think it's important to sometimes, you know, recognize that a part of this is just absorbing information, you know, like when I started going through all of our fertility stuff, it did, it felt like I needed a degree suddenly in a whole new world and it felt at times absolutely overwhelming um and I, I didn't know what to believe I didn't know you know who was legit who wasn't so what I also tried to do with this podcast and all my stuff is, is to talk to people who are you know really at the top of their fields who really know what they're talking about and just try to ask from a patient's perspective for them to kind of share what they know because I think that can be so helpful. What I also feel is important to say is that, you know, sometimes it can be hard to hear the truth um, or the, the, you know, the science behind all of this, because sometimes it's not what we want to hear. Um, but I feel like what we also need to see and recognize is to go, listen, I can take on all the um, knowledge and I can get really empowered with that and I can understand it to the best of my ability, it doesn't mean I have to let it dictate my life. It doesn't have to mean that I have to, you know, give up any belief in my own scenario. 
that is down to you. That's about taking ownership over your own journey. So I just want to say that before we, you know, dive into this interview. Not that it's like a really scary interview by any means. Um, it's actually a really brilliant interview with a woman who really knows her stuff and who's been through it herself. So that's another reason why I really wanted to speak to, let me introduce her properly, Professor Joyce Harper. So Joyce is brilliant, first of all. She and I have um, worked on a, a few things um, together. Me, obviously, as a, a, you know, offering the patient perspective um, for various kind of conferences and things like that. And um, Joyce as a, as a professional. Um, healthcare professional. She is a professor of reproductive science at the Institute for Women's Health at the University College London. She is a director of education at the IFWH and head of the Reproductive Science and Society Group. She's worked in the fields of fertility, genetics, reproductive health and women's health for over 30 years and she's really passionate, particularly passionate about education and discussion of all aspects of women's health. And she's also the mother of three sons born through IVF. So we talk a little bit about her story in a minute and you'll hear about how it impacted her and what that was like working as a professional in the field, going through it and how it still impacts her work now, having that knowledge, that in sort of insider knowledge and, and empathy. Um, and I really love Joyce's way of you know, talking about this stuff, she is so passionate. She is, she's just, she's brilliant. She's really good fun as well. So I hope you love this um, interview. Do let us know if you do. Um, I'm going to stop talking. It's been seven and a half minutes. I think that might be my longest intro ever. I do hope you forgive me for that. And please enjoy the wonderful Professor Joyce Harper. Welcome, Professor Joyce Harper to the Fertility Life Raft podcast. It's such an honour to have you. Thank you so much for your time today. It's a real pleasure. Absolutely, Alice. Real, ple real pleasure. Thank you. So I just was, we were just chatting just before then, and it's very, it's quite a hot day here, actually. So we're both sitting here sweating a little bit. <laughs> and you, I, I really wanted to talk to you, Joyce, because not only are you um, so experienced in this field as a medical professional, but you also went through your own fertility journey. And not only that, I know what a passionate and brilliant and positive speaker you are on, on this whole, in this whole space. So, so that's why I really wanted to have you on this podcast. So first of all, I'd love to hear a bit more about your personal story, if you're happy to share that. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, so <clears throat> I, I, oh, I'd always wanted to have kids at around the age of 30. And actually, we're just in the process of doing various surveys to ask people a number of questions about their attitudes to having children. And one of them is, what's your ideal age? It may even be a, an age in the past. And even now, so many people are writing age 30. I think it's one of those sort of golden ages where people have normally you know, maybe studied or got their career on the go and got married and got, bought a house. And so it's really interesting that even all these years later, it's still age 30. Um, but I was, uh, I, I was in a long-term relationship and he wasn't ready. A very common story that we hear women say, he wasn't quite ready. And I think for many years, I, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I don't want children. Maybe I don't want children. Um, and I, that wasn't true. I did want children. But you, you know, what do you do when you're in this relationship? Do you, do you end it um, to, and then try and look for someone to have children? It's really difficult. Anyway, we did split up when I was 32. And then again, I, I had a relationship with someone who also wasn't ready. He was much younger than me. And then at 35, I, that I have a cartoon on my slides like this. 
OMG, I forgot to have kids. And I'm like, that almost happened to me. And I'm working in the fertility field and there was me in this situation. So I, um, I really did at 35 go out all hour and talk to, to try and find someone who's straight away, the, my, the father of my children. I said on the first date, if you don't want children, let's stop now. Um, but we, we decided not to use any contraception. Um, months went past. Um, I obviously knew a lot about the fertile window. I knew when I was ovulating, when was the best time and nothing happened. So then started the tests, fertility tests, various fertility tests. And even though I'd been a clinical embryologist for, for many years, so I'd worked in the lab, helping those going through IVF to, to um, help their embryos along and help many thousands of women get pregnant. I, I really had wanted to do this naturally. And I, again, I don't, I think that's a normal response. Um, and then we started, nothing was happening. So we started on the snowball effect of fertility treatment, intrauterine insemination, egg collections, frozen transfers, etc. And this went on for many years, lots of tears, lots of huge trauma, a very painful journey for, and I know anyone who's, who's ended up on this journey. And um, eventually um, I delivered my first child just before my 40th birthday. So that was not plan A at all. Um, and then had um, a few more years and was just really lucky with frozen embryos um, to have twins at 42. And I, I know from the IVF data, you know, I was right on the edge of, of the age effect and the success of that. So, so it was about seven years in all um, to have my children. And I, I just really understand what women and men go through, anyone going through this um, journey has to has to deal with and all the ups and downs along the way. And I, I really don't want anyone, anyone to have to go through that. So um, anyway, we'll talk about other things, but that, that's, that's where, how I um, really felt that I, I'm, I'm many people that go through a really negative situation want to turn it around to a positive one. And I really wanted to turn this round to a positive, um, experience and share my story with others and help give information to people so that they can make informed choices about their fertility and and not as we often hear people say I wish I'd known this when I was younger why didn't I know this and that's a common occurrence and we don't want people to do that Mm. Oh, my God. So, so much to say there, Joyce. Thank you for sharing all of that with me. And I knew it was, um, I knew you'd had a long, a long uh, fertility journey, as we all call it. Um, really interesting that, that still people are saying that age 30 is the kind of, in their minds, like the ideal age that they would have kids. And, and it was interesting that you then followed that up saying, I guess it's because, you know, by that stage, you've kind of got your, you know, in theory, you've got your career on track, you've kind of found your life partner, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera in theory. Um, and actually, when it comes down to it, exactly as you experience and as I've experienced in different ways, it, it, life goes on its own little path, doesn't it? So talk, let's talk about that kind of ideal age. And then in relation to your passion, which is education and understanding, actually, you know, because and we'll come on to it and talk in great detail about it, because you've got your new book, which is Your Fertile Years, haven't you? So 
speaking about that kind of ideal age and obviously you had I mean yeah so that's amazing so you actually decided I need to I need to go and have my kids now I'm gonna I'm gonna end this I am gonna end this relationship and I need to go and find the father of my children that's amazingly um proactive yeah it's it's a it's a really difficult one and lots of women I know are are in that situation and and one of the surveys we did we did ask women um what factors are affecting their decision to have children and unfortunately there there are women who, who replied there and said my partner's not ready um and I absolutely know who that feel how that feels and I've heard many women say well what do I do and it's very tricky and I I even did consider solo motherhood and back then um so um that was uh, how old am I <laughs> that was then, a long time ago I'm 58 <laughs> did the math are um, you really god you look absolutely amazing Joyce I'm gonna ask you what your secret is your youthful <laughs> looks I've got some secrets I, I'm having to share them um was, <laughs> uh but yeah I um I you know then I I didn't really know anyone that had done that um but it, but I would have done it I definitely would have done it I and I I'm really glad now that um women are finding that journey easier to go down that solo motherhood um, route and I know many many people that have done it and they've they've had great happiness from that and had a wonderful family so um but I, I certainly consider I asked two of my male friends um if they donate and you know there, there were discussions going on but yeah it's a it's so it's a really tricky decision for women and you mentioned the the age and I know it's it's really controversial that there are some people that feel that um, us fertility specialists saying to women, you, you know, you've got a biological clock, that we're disempowering women and um, telling them things that aren't true. But, but I've worked in this field for over 30 years. and I've seen all the data from natural conception through fertility treatment, egg donation, et cetera. And um, I, as a scientist, I, I really always critique any scientific data that I see and I analyze it and uh, decide whether I think it's robust. And I really, truly believe that, unfortunately, especially around the age of 35, the majority of women's fertility will start to decline and obviously you'll see women get pregnant in their early 40s. Um, the latest data from the Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority for IVF actually was a little bit more encouraging for those women in their early 40s than it had been previously, but it's still a tiny percent. So around the age of 44, it's like 2% chance of getting pregnant by IVF, or two and a half maybe. Um, so what my mission is, with the education is to just give men and women the information to make sure they know, because we're never taught this. Yeah. You're taught at school how not to get pregnant and how not to get a sexually transmitted infection. You are not taught how to um, have a healthy pregnancy, how to check your fertility and how to get pregnant. And unfortunately at school, and we're doing a survey of teenagers at the moment, you know, at school, they tell you, you can get pregnant at any time in your menstrual cycle because they don't want teenagers to get pregnant. And that's not quite true. You can't get pregnant any time of your menstrual cycle. You can get pregnant for 24 hours uh, when you ovulate. Um, so what we are taught at school is not quite right. 
So in our survey, we have asked for people's knowledge and, and a small proportion, but some people do feel that you can get pregnant at any time because that's what they were taught. Yeah. So I just, I, I'm, I'm not telling anyone what to do. Um, everyone's obviously absolutely individual. What one person wants to do is not what the next person wants to do. I just don't want to hear the comment, but I didn't know that. Nobody taught me this. If I'd have known this earlier, I'd have made different decisions. So it's all about informed decisions. And, and it's not a huge amount of information we need to tell people. It's not rocket science. I also want women to understand their menstrual cycle just for their own reproductive health. So there are some women that have problems with their menstrual cycle that can yeah, identify polycystic ovaries or endometriosis. So if you were never taught about this, how are you going to know that having a menstrual cycle that's 40, you know, 40 um, days in between your periods is not right? Or having all this pain that you have during your period is not right. So we need to get these conversations on the table, let people know what's, what's normal, let them know that if something's not quite right, they should go and see their doctor and get things checked out. So it's not all about having babies at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my books got a lot about having children, but um, it's certainly not you know, the majority of it. The, um, the majority of it is education about reproductive health. So that if you do spot something that's that's amiss, you can go and get help sooner rather than later. Mm, oh, it's so important. And, you know, this whole conversation around what we are taught and not taught in schools always blows my mind because I just think, God, yeah, we were, we were literally were not taught this. And I, as someone who always had, you know, wildly irregular cycles, but just kind of thought, oh, well, you know, I didn't really think much of it really I mean it was it was annoying and I, I always had quite bad skin and I always you know there were there were signs that something was amiss with my hormones and with my cycle and clearly something was not quite right but it was never really a thing at school you know you you are taught you know 28 day cycle and blah 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 and I was like well of course no one has a 28 day cycle you know that's just silly whatever but at the same time I I just I just think I, I don't know like because it wasn't it wasn't a conversation it never really occurred to me to do anything about it until it was time and then I was like oh now I need to learn about my menstrual cycle and you know, even having that conversation about your menstrual cycle, you know, saying those words, talking about menstruation, talking about reproductive health, talking about periods even, is still a stigma. What is going on there? Oh, it drives me, it drives me mad. I I think things have got a little bit better. Um, There's a number of documentaries and things on now. It's in magazines. Um, We talk about these things in the media quite a bit. Um, but then there's also lots of misinformation out there. So I, I, there's many of us on a campaign to try and get this, this normalized so that people have the information, they have the support, they know when they need to go and, and, and have checks. And, um, you know, I mean, one thing, when, when a woman gets pregnant, that first 12 weeks, that this secret, we mustn't tell anyone. And it's, it's always upset me because I, I think if anything does go wrong, surely you want your friends and family to support you. But so many people, it's its really the norm to just keep it a secret and not tell anyone um, because people feel embarrassed um, to 
broach these subjects, even with close friends and family. So I really want us to, to get out there. And I mean, luckily now we're, we're saying the word vagina and vulva, you know, before those words, right, you can't say those words. And some people have told me they actually I tried to put a post on Instagram and it, it blocked it because I mentioned sex education. Um, so even now, still, there's some words that, um, you know, people are like, oh, you mustn't say that word in public. And which is ridiculous. So I think we need we do need to start young. I think parents should use the right words for our genitalia to the to the to our children and. You know, you don't, you don't have to tell them everything at, you know, age five, for example. But, you know, why not use the word penis and vagina and vulva? Um, and then as they ask questions and um, get to know their bodies, they can understand those things. And it then makes it more normal, not sort of a hush-hush thing that we're discussing behind closed doors. So I'm just really happy that things have improved in the last 30 years and we are having those conversations. There's lots of films and things about people going through IVF. You know, it's it's really interesting that those things are happening. So, so we're, we're getting there, but I think we need to speed things up so mm. that people can have support. Friends and family are there for us when things go wrong and we really need to have people to talk to if things are tricky. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm interested to hear as well, as you were going through all of your treatment and going through your own heartache and all of the emotional turmoil that we know happens when we try to make a baby and it's not easy. What was that like working as a professional in the field at the time? It was a nightmare. <laughs> it was a nightmare. There was one day I had a fail cycle and I just burst out crying. And uh the embryologist, who's a long-term friend of mine, said, well, why are you crying? <laughs> I just like, ran out of the clinic. And, I've, you know, the, the whole drug regimes and everything, so emotional. And then failing and having an, you know, another negative test, that, that, that's the worst thing. So, yeah, I, it was, it's not good to go through treatment um, at work. Um, and... Um, yeah, it, it, it was it was really, really difficult. Um, but 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 then lovely that I'm eternally grateful to them. Um, and, and one thing I wanted to discuss is is the cost of treatment. It's ridiculously expensive. And I was on a I'm on an academic wage where we get paid really nothing. Um, I would never have been able to afford my treatment. And I was incredibly privileged to not have to pay for it. I paid paid for the drugs. I live in Essex and we had no funding for IVF. Um, so I really feel for those couples and I've got some relatives, close relatives who don't have enough money to go through IVF and they're in a place that's not funded. And I, I just think that's so sad. And there's so many countries that I travel to where they fund three or six cycles and they don't understand what we're doing in the UK. And I know we've got a limited budget, but um, I think it's so hard for people that can't even try. Um, for, I think for many, trying and, and not succeeding is one thing, but not trying at all is, is really, really difficult. So um, again, I've, I've done some studies on, on childless people who wanted children but didn't, and their, their stories are really heartbreaking. Um, they, they have filled their lives with other things and they're happy, but those thoughts of, of what they've missed has never gone away. 
so it's really hard yeah I think that's a, I'm really glad you brought that up actually because it's it's becoming more and more um clear to me that we have this issue where fertility is still not seen under the same banner as other healthcare issues by the government by the wider society and there's there's this weird thing of it of fertility treatment being seen as a luxury um option and it's the most heartbreaking and upsetting and terrible thing because the emotional turmoil as you know and everything that people go through just to have their family um it, it it's got to get recognize it's got to get you know that that it's got to go further up the priority list but how do we how do we make how do we change the government's opinion I mean I know I mean I don't know if you know Amber Itso but she's doing an amazing job with her fight for IVF campaign and having you know meetings and, and discussions with different boroughs saying look you've got to fund because there are as you yeah so many boroughs which have absolutely no funding whatsoever and then what are you supposed to do if you haven't got the money Oh, it's it is it is unbelievable, and this postcode lottery is just it's it's criminal. Why why can someone one side of a street get funding and the person on the other side can't? I I mean that's a ridiculous system. I don't. I'm sure there are other countries that probably work this, but it but it is incredible. Mm. Um, you know there are there are other um, medical procedures that are done um, that you know you could you could debate. Um, some, someone's told me recently that penile implants in men, very old men, um, men in their 80s, which cost about 15,000. Uh, I, I don't know if they would ever be refused, but um, yeah, they are They are done. I, I was told, I don't know if it's true, I was told they were done more routinely across the UK than IVF. Wait, um, wait, wait, I gotta stop you there. <laughs> Oh, my, my face That's is like, someone, someone might complain about this one but. <laughs> wait a minute penile implants for men in their 80s are done on the nhs so impotent so they 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 managed to have an erection before but now they can't they're 80 um and yeah so that that, that someone's told me that a very reliable person's told me that who i will not name but um if that if that is true um then yeah I, th I think we really need to reevaluate people not being able to have a child oh um, that little fire in me there I'm a bit yeah I thought I'm sure that will bring some comments <laughs> I um I mean that is quite shocking and I just I mean gosh yeah whole other debate there I don't know what these men are going through I'm sure it's very challenging but <laughs> I mean why on earth that would be funded and that oh no 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 uh, okay, that's a whole other situation. I would love to get your thoughts on the, because coming back to funding as well, and coming back to how incredibly frustrating it is not to be able to get funded if you're above the BMI threshold. And if you are doing, I mean, I have had the most heartbreaking conversations with women and men who are truly doing everything in their power. Um, but there is some debate, is there not, over where this threshold has come from, the actual, you know, where BMI itself was has originated from and why we use it still. It seems like it's a very outdated way of looking at things. What, what's your thought on this? Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that. So um, uh, my I'm I'm five foot one and a tiny bit. So um, my my BMI, I'm clinically obese, um, apparently. <laughs> um so yeah I was I exercise every day so I've still got a rosy face for my Zumba class um yeah I exercise every day I'm 
very fit, but I am on the BMI clinically obese. So for sure, we know that the, um, if you are, if you are obese, there are some issues with fertility. Um, there's also issues with the ongoing health of your children. Um, there's a lot more evidence coming out now about men and women's preconception health. So there's recently a, port, uh, um, a post about alcohol, um, a bit big studies that have been done. And um, in, in my book, I, I was quite negative about alcohol. I do love to drink uh, for sure. Um, uh, but there's always some conflicting data, but I have seen reports that drinking red wine a few times a week is going to help your fertility. I think we need to be sensible about these things. I think we need to think, is, is this really healthy? Is drinking wine really healthy? And I think we'd all say it's lovely, but it's not healthy. So we, we have to think about, our, you know, our, our weight for sure. BMI is a, is a nightmare um, uh, measurement though and so as far as I'm I did hear that they are going to stop using BMI totally nothing to do with IVF just um, re-evaluate the whole system because it is problematic um, I think I think I'm aware that certainly for for women shorter women it's it seems we're all obese <laughs> and tall men who are big are fine I'm like really how's that you know um, so I think um they're, they're, I'm afraid there is evidence that if you are seriously overweight, it will affect your fertility. So in, in, my, in my book, in chapter three, I, I have said that it's, you're going to certainly increase your chance if you really balance your, what I call four pillars of well-being. And one is nutrition, which is also everything. It's nutrition, weight, alcohol, etc. Um, the second is exercise, but but moderate exercise, not excessive exercise. Um, the third is is sleep. Um, unfortunately, there are links with infertility and sleep, but we're not sure whether it's cause or effect. So when you're going through infertility treatment and you're stressed, you're not going to sleep so well. And it's sort of a vicious circle. Um, and then the, the fourth is your overall mental health and well-being just um you know that that we do have people say oh just relax and you'll get pregnant which is obviously not you know it's rubbish but um the whole research around stress and fertility is again very um difficult to come to a clear conclusion so we do have all of these studies with all of this information and, and people are bombarded with should i do this should i do that you know or i'm, I'm you know mustn't exercise too much, but I must exercise a bit. And I, you know, but so I just want people to be sensible about um, their preconception health. But I, I don't think it's just preconception. I think it's lifelong. So when you're a teenager, um, you need to think about your, your health uh, and also menopausal women. So, so many women experience major issues around the menopause. The first thing that many of us would say was, are you balancing your four pillars of well-being? Are you drinking wine every night? Are you drinking lots of caffeine? Uh, are you not exercising at all? So these rules for me apply through our whole reproductive life for, forever. And I think we should have everything in moderation. So trying to sort out our um, weight is, is unfortunately important, but, but not excessively so. So uh, unless you were really, really overweight, um, you know, it, it, we'd have to be careful, but 
Um, I think getting yourself to a good weight before you get pregnant anyway is a good good idea. But certainly there are links with being overweight and your ovulation, chances of getting pregnant and carrying a successful pregnancy. Okay. All right. And to people listening who are kind of going, oh my God, I need to do X, Y, and Z and feeling a bit panicky. I think also it's, it's really important to say as well, as you just mentioned, those four pillars again. So actually how imperative it is that we look after our mental health while we're going through all of this and obviously I mean that's where I'm I'm most interested personally is that emotional mindset well-being which can be profoundly you know radically transformative when we really go into that but I think you know what I love about you Joyce is that you don't shy away from saying look this is the data you take from it what you need to take and what I think is helpful to remind people as well as looking at the data everything is so individual as well yes and you know so so yes look at the data yes have that information and then go away and have a cup of tea and go for a walk and just remember that you are okay and whole and perfect as you are like whatever else you know the world is telling you and as you were saying before you know we are bombarded aren't we with information at every turn so how can we take in the information in a really um empowered way that and, and so we don't end up feeling you know, sort of um, unable to 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 take it in. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, honestly, I, I feel IVF patients, well, fertility, inf infertile patients more than ever are bombarded. Um, and, and listen, I'm someone who's always struggled with my weight. My whole life, I've been up and down, um, normally overweight. So I, I absolutely know it's, it's, it's really hard. Um, so I, I think we've, what you've said as well about being individual, this is something I say all the time. We are all totally individual. So what applies to one person will not apply to you. And what anyone needs to do, both individually and then as a couple, is take it all in and decide what's right for you. And that's what's really important. So, you know, you'll see, oh, take this supplement or do yoga or have reflexology or whatever and then someone will say oh, it works for them but just our building blocks of our body and what we're deficient in what we've got excess in our muscle structure our heart everything we're so different that we don't have one size fits all and so um you know one one person might be deficient in vitamin d but not the next person and you won't know unless you have all of these hundreds of tests which you're not going to do so i just think you know try things but don't try to be overwhelmed by it just read things take things in and think sensibly what what actually fits for me and what do I think oh I, I might try that or I might not so it is very very individual and yeah there's so there's no there's no magic there's no magic diet there's no magic supplement in, in my view uh, you know, I tried acupuncture, I tried reflexology, I tried everything when I was trying to get pregnant. Um, you've just got to do what, what you feel comfortable with. But there is there is nothing magic that's going to say if everyone does this, they will all get pregnant. It just doesn't work like that. We're just too varied and too individual. Um, yeah. And is it is there because obviously we have such a big proportion of people who fall into, into the unexplained category, unexplained infertility. And there does seem to be so much that we still don't know about 
this area of medicine. So how, where are we with that? Because I know, <laughs> I know, you know, it's been 40 odd years now, hasn't it? Since Louise Brown, Louise Brown, that's her yeah. name, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Louise was born. And um, h- how far have we come since then? And where are we going? Well, it, I mean, if we just look at IVF, for example, the, the latest data from the Human Fertilization Embryology Authority is showing that for most ages, we're three times more successful than we were back in the 90s when they started to collect the data. So um, treatments are are definitely improving. There's more treatments that we can offer. We've now got ICSI for male infertility. We didn't have that back in the you know 80s. Um, we've got frozen embryo transfers, we've got freezing eggs. So there's a lot of tech that's happening. Um, as far as the advice we offer to someone trying to get pregnant, as I said, there's, there's nothing really that we would say. There's no magic pill or potion that will, will help. We've just got to be sensible and, and we are a natural phenomena. So we've got to treat that naturally and look after that. So yeah, on, on the techniques, we've we've really improved. Um, the unknown infertility is, in many ways, it has shrunk um, a little. We do know a lot more. There's more tests we can do. We can find out a lot more. But there, at the moment, there's still a big chunk of people where we just we just don't know. I, I did um uh, for International Women's Day, we did a discussion on race and reproduction, and one of our brilliant consultants at UCH. Um, she had um, lots of fertility treatment, didn't get pregnant, uh, had egg donation, had a baby, and then got pregnant naturally. Wow. (laughs) You know, you hear these stories. This is is one of our consultants who this absolutely happened to. So, you know, it's, that was really close to home to hear her tell her story. So, you know, these things can still happen. Unknown infertility is a really difficult one. Mm, I think it's so frustrating for people. And I think like when you have the diagnosis, there's often that sense of relief, isn't there? That go, okay, at least I know what's wrong. Now I can attempt at least do something to see if I can make it better. Um, What is your advice for people who are, I guess, at the start of, okay, they go, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a baby now. And they start trying. Uh, you know the the technical advice is try for a year is that right before you go and 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 get seen yeah absolutely so my my advice would be first even before this to um whether you want children or not just as i've said to be really aware of your menstrual cycle and um if if you're around about 28 days ish sort of you know any anything from sort of 22 to 30 or uh, 30 odd is is fine and if it's pretty regular and you feel everything's okay, then, then that's a good position. If you haven't got those characteristics and you're, and you're worried about anything, I would go and see someone sooner rather than later, even if you don't want children, uh, just to see if there's anything wrong that needs treatment. But if you do want children, that's really important. Um, then the preconception health is really important. So before you start trying, just think, you know, are, are we, you know, doing those things, exercising, not smoking, moderate drinking, etc. 
um, just to get those. I, I don't think you need, I heard someone the other day who was 39 say, I'm going to wait a year while I sort out my preconception health. And I said, no, don't, 39, no, 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 no. Just go try now and get pregnant. Um, so um, yeah, I don't think you need to spend a year optimizing your health, you know, of course, just, just do what's right for you. Uh, so then when you're ready to start trying, I think it's really important to know roughly when you're ovulating. And some people say this can be stressful, but if you want to, the really easy way to check is ovulation sticks. You can get them from Amazon. Um, you, you know, you just wee on them around the time you think you might be ovulating and it will tell you whether you're ovulating and to have intercourse around that time is the best. Um, you may just want to do nothing and just be totally natural for a while, but you're, yeah, that's just checking your having sex at the right time and then if you're under 35 um about 90 percent we, we've just done a study with natural cycles looking at people who are using their app for um getting pregnant and 90 percent were pregnant within a year actually most will be pregnant within six months but within a year 90 percent so if you're under 35 and you're in that 10 percent that hasn't got pregnant after a year then you do need to get things moving. But if you're 35, you should only try for about six months. So that was me. I tried for six months, knew I was ovulating. Um, things didn't happen. And I, I, we started test within about six months. Mm. Um, so then you'd have your hormones checked, sperm check, tubes checked, etc. cetera. Um, because I know some people like to say this is not true, but on, honestly, all of the data I've ever looked at, age 35, things really start to, to go down between 35 and, and about 42. And over your early 40s, trying to get pregnant is really tricky and really, really unlikely with fertility treatment. So if you think you're going to go through the fertility treatment route, you really have to be you know, really under 38. And if we look at the, the figures from the Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority and the same thing in the US, what they do is they group pregnancy, like live birth, they don't look at pregnant, live birth rate. So did you have a child? I do it as 35 and under um, because under that age, you're, whether you're 28 or 32 is really about the same. And then um, almost every country will, will do it in two year batches. And if you look at the data, your chance of a live birth goes down, 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 down. And at 42 onwards, it's really, really tiny. It's just a little slither on the graph. And you can have a look at this data on the, on the HFEA's website. Um, so if you arrive at the fertility clinic age 40, it's really, really difficult. And the chance of you getting pregnant with your own egg, with your own egg, if you use a donor egg, all the donors are under 35, you have an equal chance of getting pregnant at any age with a donor egg. But with your own egg, the chance over 42 is very, very low. Over 44, it's almost non-existent. Mm. Okay. All right. I want to go back to, I was really interested when you were sharing your story and you were saying that there was that day where you had that negative test and you cried because you're a human being going through something really hard. And the professional next to you, the embryologist, I think you said, could not compute what was going on. So where's that disconnect coming? And, and how, how 
easy is it for you now as a medical professional to remember that and to keep that sense of you know professionalism and empathy at the same time you remember when you've gone through these things you never forget them there's so many things I, I cried a lot I, I really really cried a lot I, I I do feel I'm still traumatized from it I cry about it now um if I um actually the day we did the International Women's Day event you know I, I was crying it, it's it never goes away from you, I don't think. But I think in any branch of, of medicine, I think that um, until you've been through something yourself, uh, you'd never know what it's like to be the other side of the table. Um, but do, does every health professional need to, um, you know, have gone through something? I mean, obviously that's just not possible and I'm probably not necessary. But, you know, they, they often say that the best counsellor for, for example, alcoholism or any addiction is someone who's already been through it. Um, they will definitely have a very different perspective um, than someone who's been through it. So you you never realise. I, I, I never realised. As I said, I've, I've worked in the field since 1987 and I never realised how traumatic it was. And I totally sympathise with anybody. And, and with the fertility education that we're doing because we set up a UK and an international group. We, our motto is to work on prevention and we won't prevent every type of infertility. We won't prevent every person ever visiting an IVF unit, but we do feel that some of it can be prevented by some of the things that I've talked about today. So we, we really, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure if I'd have tried to get pregnant at 28 naturally, I, I would have got pregnant. But once I was 35, I, I knew things were um, going to be difficult. Mm. So actually, it's not, you know, and I agree, we don't need to have been through something in order to understand or have an understanding. Actually, what we need is also better education for medical professionals working in the field about what the trauma that people are experiencing and the emotional, the emotional impact of what people are going through is like because I think if there was some um, wider knowledge about that and I think it is improving because of what's happening with social media and Instagram and people sharing their stories much more publicly and much more um, confidently a lot of a lot of the time it's improving but there's still a a bit of a disconnect sometimes Mm -hmm. (laughs) between the medical professional and the patient sitting in front of them yeah disconnects the right word um, even for me, um, you know, for, when, when you see a medical professional, they, they, they talk about their bedside manner. And, and even for me, some of my friends, uh, their bedside manner was really abrupt. Uh, and I thought, well, they're just being like that because it's me or is that what they're normally like? But then I've, I've spoken to many patients since. And, and yeah, some people can be very unsympathetic. Um, especially I think one of the worst situations is a failed cycle or a miscarriage and um, we had we had a discussion recently about miscarriage and some of the things that people women had been told um, you know oh you know by a nurse someone was told well that's God telling you that you shouldn't be a mother I I mean you know this was recently you know some Again, they're all individual as well. Anyone that treats, you know, anyone in the health professional, in the health profession is 
an individual. But yeah, I totally agree. We have to work on education. And I'm sure many people that have been through IVF will tell you what one doctor tells them in the same clinic, they have different advice from a different doctor in the same clinic. And we recently did um, uh, interviews with medical directors, IVF medical directors about IVF add-ons. And um, yeah, they, they all have different views and, and they're allowed to have different views. But, um, you know, we, we are all individual on, as a professional as well. And how, as I said, how I interpret data, I have to say that's how I've interpreted. There'll be another scientist somewhere who's interpreted totally different um, and with the use of some of these add-ons, for example, that, that is the case. There's some people that don't agree. Um, and one thing we do a lot at conferences is we have debates and they're always really exciting, but it's not difficult to find two health professionals who have a totally opposite view of any treatment, not just fertility, you know, lots and lots of things, menopause treatment. Yeah, it's a big debate. I was in a discussion yesterday with someone should we give all women HRT or should we not? There's totally different camps. Um, so what that's telling us is going back to the individual. We are all individual and we don't have one size fits all for anything. And, uh, yeah. And that I also think is that there lies the problem in a lot of, in a lot of cases, because I think as a patient and speaking from my own experience, by the time I got to the fertility clinic, I was sort of like, right, brilliant. Tell me what to do and I'll do it but there was different opinions. And then I was told I was going to do one thing. And then the nurse actually, the consultant said one thing and the nurse said, well, why is she telling you to do that? <laughs> and I was like, oh, what? So like surely they, you know, and it's so confusing as the patient to begin to understand that actually even within your clinic, there might be disagreements about your treatment. So even more important to empower the patient with not just information, but also again, coming back to emotional resilience and, and, and emotional intelligence and understanding like what is happening here? Oh, I'm being bombarded or, oh God, I feel uneasy about this. What can I do to give myself some, you know, some strength here so that I can then go away and make the decision myself if that's what it comes down to or speak up and ask, well, what are you disagreeing about? What can I do? Like, it's so important for everyone to advocate for themselves as they go through their journey, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's so I absolutely agree. It's very, very difficult for anybody to go through this because there's not one answer. So, you know, I'll say again, we're as we're all individual, take in what you can be aware that people are going to have different views and decide what's best for you. And that so there's you can't do anything majorly wrong. It's it's very individual. I mean, just thinking of the journey of fertility, there'll be some people who will decide I don't want to have any tests. We'll, we'll just try. If we don't get pregnant, we don't get pregnant. Some people will go all the way to a surrogate. Um, so different people will have different views about what's right for them. And yeah, you are going to get two doctors tell you different things in the same clinic. Mm. Oh my goodness. Well, I could talk to you all day, Joyce, but I'm, I'm aware <laughs> I don't want to take up any more of your time. So I just want to say thank you so much. Your book is out now, isn't it? Yes, there's a copy here. Da, da, da. So yeah, it's out now. Um, so, and I really want to talk to people about it. So I know we're not quite open up with the COVID situation yet, but um, yeah, I'd love to come talk to small women's groups, big groups of people, whatever, and to hear different views. I know not everyone's going to agree with my interpretation, 
Um, and I really want to hear other people's views and, and thoughts and to see how we can deliver these messages. We, we certainly know, um, because I, I've, I've helped found the UK Fertility Education Initiative in 2016. And last year we formed the International um, Committee. And what we're trying to do is develop tailored fertility education. So we know that what we tell an 18 year old boy and what we tell a 40 year old woman who's trying to get pregnant, mm -hmm. the way we tell them certainly, and the tools we use to tell them are going to be very different. So this is what we're working on. This is sort of the next 10 years work for me now to see how we can best give people the right information um, without being too controversial um, and do it in a sensitive way so that we feel that we've empowered them with that knowledge so they can decide what they want to do. Thank you so much Joyce and go and find Joyce's book which is Your Fertile Years by Professor Joyce Harper in all good bookshops, I imagine, and online and wherever you can find it. And where can people find you if they want to connect with you further, Joyce? So I have a website called JoyceHarper.com and uh, my contact's there and please get in, get in touch. And I'd love to be let out of my lounge. <laughs> I'm a people person, so I really am missing interaction with people. And I love, um, you know, teaching. So I'd love to, you know hopefully this year travel the country and talk to groups of people about what we've talked about and hear their points of view I'd really really love to so uh yeah please get in contact and I'd love to come and do book clubs chats etc amazing thank you so much thank you so much Alice Professor Joyce, thank you so, so much for your time, for your work, for your passion, for your education. Um, we desperately do need more education on women's health and more information for everyone. Um, reproductive health as well, not just women's health, of course. Um, and yes, I really love what she was saying as well there about that the next 10 years work is to see how we can best give the right information without being too controversial and do it in a sensitive way so we can feel like we've empowered people um, so that people can decide what they want to do. Yes, exactly that. Um, empower yourself with knowledge. Try not to get overwhelmed by it. Um, please get in touch if you have anything that you want to ask Joyce or that you that has come up for you when you've been listening to this I would love to get some um to hear from you and as always do go and leave me a review I'm really proud of how many this little podcast has you know like it's really amazing and that's all you and I can't I, I can't tell you in, enough times like how important it is um for my work so do please do go and, and leave a, an apple review and if you can't do that for any reason then feel free to drop me a line on instagram or um, you can email me at uh, alice at this is alicerose.com so i'm going to love you very much and leave you <laughs> um i know how hard this journey is I, do you know what i do want to say as well just before i sign off um you probably know that i run a membership which um opens every now and then at the moment it's um closed but um we have a very active and, and beautifully supportive online group and there's a lot of people in that group right now who are really exhausted by all of this and if that's you today yeah just I just want to say we we understand um it can be exhausting it really can be and I'd love for you to just consider what 
what do you need when you're tired? You know, you need rest. You need rest. So just always ask yourself, what do I need? What do I need? What do I need? Um, and when you're exhausted, you need some rest. So whatever that looks like for you, uh, whether it is actually a break from all of this or whether it's just, you know, maybe it's just a, an evening um, of a bit of self-care or whatever it is, um, be mindful, be conscious of where you're at and try not to just plow through because you will burn out with it all. So lots of self-compassion, lots of self-care, please. And um, just take care and I'll see you soon. Thank you.